to go to prayer, I'd like to share this morning's passage with you. We will be, once again, talking about worship and uh, worship is taking place in here this morning. Today we will be talking about a byproduct of worship. This is the title of my sermon, Worship 101, and it's called a byproduct, contentment, a byproduct of worship. The scripture today is uh, Matthew chapter 11, Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through um, 30. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Verse 27 says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That last part of that verse and these upcoming two verses are what we will focus in on today. And Jesus said, and this is a very popular scripture that we are, are familiar, I would say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, this morning as we come into your presence in our worship time, as the worship team leads us into your presence, Father, Lord, it's not just good music and good singing, but it's blessing of your Holy Spirit being in here, being here in a, in a tangible, manifest way, more than what normally, um, Father, that's here. That when we come with our praises, you inhabit our praises, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you for the, the blessing of your presence. Father, we do pray for uh, this congregation, the needs of this congregation, this message this morning. Lord, I think of a, uh, a couple of uh, prominent things that I think of Brandon having a surgery this morning, Brandon Selby. Lord, I lift him up to you. Um, there's another one, Father, I know you know it. It slipped my mind, but it's, uh, uh, Lord, I pray for those things. I pray for the things, the, the long list of, of folks that we pray for on Wednesday night, Father, for healing, for restoration, Lord, for, um, for relationships. There's so many things on that list, Father, and you we just trust you. We come uh, with contentment, realizing that we are praying to God Almighty, our Father in heaven, and that he hears these things, and that he will answer them in his way and His within his will. Today, Father, I just pray for the remainder of our time together. I pray for this message that um, uh, you have given me this morning, Father, to share. And Lord, I, I just thank you for this congregation that you've given me to pastor. Lord, I think of... Uh, all the stuff I see sitting out here in the uh, entryway as we come this morning. And I think of this family that uh, a week or so ago we gave the uh, uh, list of things they needed, family without nothing, and how uh, this group of uh, flock of your sheep have responded is amazing. Father, I thank you for the privilege of leading them and, uh, and guiding them, Father. Lord, just bless us now in the remainder of our time, I pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Children are dismissed to Sunday school with Miss Tina. I did just want to take a moment as I came in this morning, and um, I knew some of this stuff was there. I wanted a special thanks to uh, Dawn, wherever she went, because she saved me a trip to Bay City, because she was going past, and she went and got all uh, a bunch of dressers and stuff. Um, I once again get the benefit or the privilege of the blessing of seeing these people. Well, and Dorothy got to go last week with me. Uh, she, I told her we were going in the middle of Flint and I needed somebody to ride shotguns, so I took Dorothy. Uh, she, uh, I said, she looked at me, shotgun. I said, no, really, I'll bring a shotgun and you can hang on to it. And, uh, but she didn't want to do that. So. But we were there, what, probably an hour, Dorothy? talking to them. You talked to Karen, and I talked to Kevin, and, and uh, 
just the impact this is having on their lives. Uh, Kevin, he knows the Bible. He knows the Word when you speak to him. And he is brutally honest with me about uh, stuff that uh, goes on in his life. And uh, just to be able to share. And, and there, you know, there, it's always, thank you, Pastor. And I'm like, oh, Pastor's just the, the, the mouth most of the time. And a little bit of the hands and feet. But it's a congregation. And it's truly, beyond even that, it's the love of God working inside of people's hearts and minds. And uh, they are blessed. And... Um, you are having an impact on their lives. I can tell you that for certain. Well, how much room you got? How many bedrooms you got at your place? <laughs> this morning, it is, uh, I thought last week would be my last sermon upon uh, the subject of worship. That's kind of where I uh, left off. And uh, as I prayed and I meditated about, you know, God, what, what next? What am I supposed to speak on next? And um, kind of gave me two things, and I was kind of confused because we were going back towards worship. And um, as I prayed more and more, and he opened my eyes and my heart to this message about contentment. Um, the thought of being in worship as we talked, as Mitchell led us this morning, and the music team led us, I, we hear, hear him say, um, the fact is, you know, there's no uh, correct or definite posture for worship, you can worship uh, with your hands up, your hands down, you can sit down, you can lay down, you can do whatever you're doing. You can, uh, as I said last week, you worship in a truck or car when you're driving. You want to keep your eyes open and hands on the wheel, but you can do that. Um, I mean, there's, so, but it's just coming into, and, and, and you don't need, always need music. You don't always need a situation. There are times when um, uh, God can just, come to you in the, uh, the middle of the night sometimes. I, I have that happen often. Um, just, he brings these thoughts through your head. And uh, when I think about um, uh, Kevin and, and Karen and Jalius, the little gal's name, she has a, I got to figure out a nickname for her because her name kind of hard to say, but just the thoughts of uh, what God is doing in their life and, and the, the uh, a blessing just brings uh, a need to worship God, to see what he's doing into my, into my soul, into my heart. Um, so as we worship, as we come into God's presence, um, let me open with this quote from John Piper. It says, Nothing makes God more supreme and more central in worship than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing, not money or prestige or leisure, or family, or job, or health, or sports, or toys, or friends. Nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their sinful, guilty, aching hearts besides God. Now, the, 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 the backside of that seems a little rough, but when you think about it, that is why we worship God. Because He washes us clean. He relieves us from our sin. He gives us, that's why we can be contented, is, uh, and have contentment in our hearts. Um, and part of the, the message that I want to uh, uh, speak on is I often hear, and I say this often, uh, I have people tell me, um, we, we talk about heaven, and I say, well, I hope I make it. And that's not real good contentment. You should know beyond a shadow of a doubt with God in your heart, within your mind, that you have an a, a eternal home in heaven waiting for you. And you can rest in that. That makes a lot of the stuff that goes on around us here a little more... Uh, um, bearable at times because we realize, you know, once I get there, once God calls me home, whether it's through the rapture or or by way of my own uh, demise, um, I am going to be blessed. There will be no more crying and no more dying, no more tears, no more pain, no more. There won't be no more cancer. There won't be no more heart disease. No wayward children. Uh, there won't be people dying from uh, suicide or overdose or or car accidents or anything. There won't be uh, people suffering in, in cancer and, and being out, because God will make all things new and, and perfect again. He will, he will mend our broken hearts. When we come to this knowledge and we understand uh, in, our, in our inner being uh, what it means to, to have that relationship and to have that confidence in the fact that this world is not our home. When we realize that 
that God is above all else in our life, should be above all else. His presence, His um, blessing, His word, our time with Him, is when those things rise to the top in their proper place where they should be, we then can experience the idea of contentment. That's a good spot to say amen. Contentment is a fleeting thing at times. We often hear uh, in the Word, uh, Paul often speaks about being anxious. Uh, Jesus tells us not to worry. Um, let me just give you first a, uh, a quick definition of what it says in uh, the dictionary, the online dictionary for uh, contentment. It says the state of being contented. And I thought, well, that doesn't do me much good because we've got to define contentment. So, uh, but I threw it in there. So, but these two things here um, really spoke out to me. Satisfaction and ease of mind. How often and what a struggle is it often for us to have ease of mind? How difficult is it sometimes for us to be satisfied where we are at, content with where we are at? I'm not suggesting, and I'll get to this further down the line, not suggested that we become... There's a difference here between contentment and stagnation. Stagnation is often where we're, we are stuck or stopped or however you want to look at it, and it's not really a good place to be, but it's, it's where we are, we are at. Um, sometimes we think that we're contented and we're, we're, we're happy, but we're not growing, we're not seeking God, we're not, we're not worshiping, we're not uh, doing the things that God calls us to do, to live in that peace. Um, contentment is where we can be in a, in a place, no matter our surroundings, no matter, even those things that I talked about, uh, maybe we are battling an illness. Maybe we do have wayward children. Maybe, maybe um, uh, we're struggling financially. Maybe our, we're struggling with our, within our relationship. But we have this uh, presence of, of mind and spirit that God is here. And that God has us here for a purpose, for a reason. And we trust Him that, that He's going to, to lead us out of this place. Or, if he's going to leave with us here for a while, he's going to take care of us. He's going to guide us. Sometimes we have to learn to be content inside of a trial or a tribulation. God does, at times, put us in those places to teach or allows us to go into those places of trial and tribulation to teach us, to grow us, to strengthen us. Um, we, and, and to be content in there is to... Uh, um, be patient with God, to be able to, to, to uh, uh, withstand where you're at. The next part of the, the, the definition says um, uh, to the act of making contentedly satisfied. Once again, contented is in the definition, which doesn't make much sense to me, but uh, when they're trying to define a word with a word that I'm trying to get defined, so that doesn't really make sense to me. So I changed, I, well, I edited their... Uh, uh, definition to better suit what I was talking about. But uh, the act of making completely satisfied. How many people in here this morning would say, I, you know, without lying, or just raising your hand, would say, I'm completely satisfied with where I'm at today? A few. I appreciate your honesty. And the, because uh, normally it'd be everybody, I'm like, ah, you guys are not telling the truth. But the, uh, I appreciate your honesty. We're not always completely satisfied. It's not easy to be in a place where um, we're not satisfied. We pray, and, and, and God doesn't have a problem with that. But sometimes we're in that place where we're not completely satisfied, but we're completely satisfied with the God we serve. And we're hanging on, and we're waiting Waiting patience, waiting patiently. Patience is not, I don't, it may be your strong suit. It's not my strong suit. I'm not a very patient individual. Um, so waiting patiently, really, when I hear that term, I'm like, oh, man, I got to wait. Wait is not a good thing for me. Anyways, I don't like to wait for nothing. I'm a, 
I live in this uh, cell phone Burger King world where we get everything we want, when we want, the way we like it. And um, so waiting is not easy. And then to wait patiently means I could be waiting for a while. That doesn't usually excite me. Um, I like, I'll wait for a couple minutes maybe and be, you know, uh, okay with that. The, uh, if you ride anywhere with me in my uh, vehicle, you'll realize how patient I am. Um, I don't have road rage or nothing, but uh, most people realize that ride with me much realize I will drive the back, I will drive a two-track to stay off the highway because the minute the traffic stops, I am just going berserk inside. And I want to yell and scream out the window. I'm like, who calls this an expressway? We're not getting where, anywhere expressly fast. And then, of course, when you get towards Ann Arbor, they have a whole other lane to make things go faster, but they don't open it. It's always closed once in a great while, never when I'm there, because God's probably testing me. So the, uh, maybe you're in a better spot with God. Maybe you should, I should ride with you. But, or here's another thing. How many of you do this? I know I'm not the only one that does this. I go to Walmart and do my shopping up there. That's where I love to be. Um, I do a lot of ministry in Walmart as well. You get, um, you're in there, and no, no offense to anybody, but I go in in the middle of the afternoon, and I think, ah, nobody's going to be in here. Everybody's got to work. All the retired people shop in the middle of the day. <laughs> and they're not necessarily the most fleet of foot all the time, you know? So the, uh, you go in there, and here it is. It just drives me off. You've got 25 registers. Why do we only open three? Is it, this could be an actual thing of God. There might have been 24 open until I walked in the door, I think, sometimes, and he just wants to see. The, uh, but you go there, and I will do <laughs> I have this logic. I watch how people move. If they're, you know, pretty quick still and, and somewhat fleet of foot, I'm like, all right, I'll go here. And because, or if they're real chatty, I know they're going to be chatting to the, um, which I'm guilty of that at times, but I know they're going to be chatting up the cashier and, and that's going to take time. And, and, and then I remind myself, you don't really, normally I don't have to be anywhere when I'm up there because that's why I'm up there. So, but I have all these formulas they don't work. I usually end up waiting and I get, you know, I'm like, I am in here enough. I could probably do this on my own and you guys could just, you know, I'll give you the money and just let me do one in, a, in another line. But waiting patiently is not, um, it's not a strong suit. Being contented in a line at Walmart is not a strong suit. The, uh, I do have a little trick. I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell anybody, all right? This is one way to beat the system. I did it last night, as a matter of fact. If you go get your, we buy my, I buy everything at Walmart because my wife works there and I get a discount. So no matter what it is, it's 10%. And who doesn't want to save 10% even if it's 10 cents? I want to save it. It makes me feel good. So I, the trick, I had to go get softener salt. Now I'm not smart enough to think of this all the time, but when I have to get softener salt, it dawns on me. You check out back here in the flower and garden. Nobody's back there this time of year. You just walk up, and there's a guy standing there talking to another guy because he's bored. And I'm like, this is sweet. And I get right in, I get everything checked out, and I'm out of there, and I don't have to wait in line. So, of course, um, I don't meet very many people back there when I'm doing that. But anyways, that's, that was for free. Um, Philippians, Paul says, Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I added, I, I put, I originally just stopped with six and seven, but this uh, bears for us uh, uh, good information. It says in verse eight, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
how many of us struggle with anxiety over things? Once again, when it says clearly in here, be ye anxious for nothing. Well, that's King James, but be anxious for nothing. It, it, it is, should, am I saying that you have to, you know, do you have to be flatlined on the screen with your heart? No, there's things we should be concerned about. Sometimes, as I said, we get stagnant and not content. But how many of you know that anxiety and worrying about things, has anybody been successful at changing anything while they were worrying because of their worrying? And you just have to, how many of you understand that, um, and I'm going to get to this, I got the song in here, uh, God's timing is in his time, and we can't change that as much as we would like to or hurry that up. God's, and, and I believe, because I often say these two things, that uh, God won't give me any more than I can handle. Often I say, well, his estimation and my estimation are way different. And he's got a lot more confidence in me than I do. So, because he gives me stuff to handle that I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, could we pass this down the line to somebody more qualified? And is timing, I realize, you know, the Bible says with God, one day it says a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. But it always seems to me like a thousand years for a day when I'm waiting on an answer or, or I need something. It, it's not an easy thing. It has been, and this is why, when we go back, I, I say this is one of my, um, just as a human being and as a pastor, and in my own uh, personal experience, that uh, true contentment, true contentment that lasts, not momentary or situational contentment, but contentment with what God is doing in life, contentment in life as a whole, is one of the hardest things that I believe for us to deal with as Christians while we are here on this earth. Would that be an accurate statement? Part of that reason is because we are conditioned. Within our humanness and our human existence, we put clocks on the wall, calendars on the, on the wall, and we, we get ourselves... And, and don't go into work tomorrow a half hour late and tell the boss, pastor said it was okay because we're content and... We're not really worried about your clock. You know, we operate on God's time. I don't think that's going to work out well for you. But, um, but we become conditioned by the pace of life that we live in. And we, we live here. We live in a, a rat race. I know for myself, we go up on the west side of the state to vacation. That's where the family cottage is. And you go up there and you're up there for a little while and pretty soon you've got to start feeling your chest to make sure your heart's still beating because the pace is so slow you're not really sure if you're alive or if you're in limbo or, or where you're at. And it kind of reminds me of where I grew up. But I always remember as soon as we get on the Zilwaukee Bridge and it opens back up to four lanes and you're coming through there at 11 o'clock at night and there's still traffic all over the place, I always say when we come, I said we're back in the rat race. And um, it, we're, we're conditioned to operate at this pace. 24, we're conditioned. I don't believe that we are um, meant by God to operate at the pace we operate at. We fall into the trap of cell phones and timelines and deadlines and, and all of these things. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that it's an a, um, act of the, the enemy to keep us going at this pace because one of the greatest things we witness nowadays is that we're too busy to go to church. We're too busy to... We used to, years ago, when I started coming to church, uh, 26, almost 27 years ago, we had a Wednesday night service. We still do here. We have a, a Wednesday night prayer group um, that, that meets. We had church on Sunday morning. We had church on Sunday night. We had things going all the time. We did revivals. We, we had singspirations. We had all of these things that we did. And today, we, we did not have, when I started coming, and I'm sure it's even further back, some of you can talk about, but you didn't go by us the soccer fields and the ball fields on a Sunday morning and see kids out playing. 
you didn't have kids, and I'm not getting after parents or anybody, um, but like last week, because my granddaughter was one that had to go get pictures. They scheduled pictures on Sunday morning for all the football and, and cheerleaders and all of this stuff. And, and I'm like, you know, I thought we were a kind of a conservative community here, but uh, we are pretty quick to schedule things on Sunday. Um, it's the pace of life that throws off our contentment. It's something that we have to um, physically and mentally uh, through the power of God, through prayer, through the Word, we have to begin to master that in our lives, or we will find ourselves in this rat race, going and going and going. Heart disease stress is one of the leading killers in, this, in, this, in the world, I believe, but I know in the nation, stress kills us. This pace kills people that we operate at often because we don't know how to slow down. We, we don't... You know, it says slow down and take time to smell the roses. We don't even stop. We run over the roses to keep going to the next appointment. I wrote here that we are bombarded early in adolescence with the expectations and goals, either the exaltation of fulfilling those goals or the denunciation of our failure to the expectations. That's a lot of words I wrote. Those are big words for me. That's like a $25 sentence there with my $5 words. We're bombarded in early in adolescence with expectations and goals and either the exaltation of fulfilling those goals or the denunciation of our failure to the expectations of societal influences. That was a big one. Yeah, I got a little something going on up there. It's not, I don't have it out all the time, but the... Um, When we hit high school, I experienced something this past uh, uh, winter, I guess, whenever I was coaching volleyball with, uh, for Pickle uh, last. The, the pace that we place our kids on, especially, I think it's like this in most schools, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous down here at the school that we deal with. I got a, a group of 10 or 11 girls that are... Uh, playing volleyball, rec league volleyball, I can usually get two or three uh, to a practice on any given night because every one of these kids, bar maybe one or two, are in three different sports or two sports in a training camp for something, or they are, plus they have all this schoolwork to do, plus they have to keep up their grade point average, so, which is a good thing anyways, but they have to do that so they can get the proper scholarships to go to the proper colleges that, that we want to send them to. It, it is no wonder our kids go berserk at times. They, most of these kids, are, everybody's got a cell phone. If you don't have a cell phone, you live under a rock if you're a kid. So they're checking everything all the time. They're on all of these schedules. And I just wonder, I'm like, how do you guys, and I ask them, how do you guys get all of it done? I mean, I... School couldn't keep my... T Wait, there's no kids in here, right? There, there's a few. I liked school, but it was... A, uh, I had a hard time with my attention span in school and uh, with attending school at times. Um, but the, I, I look at the pace. We condition and set our kids up for this rat race that we run in from the time they hit high school, probably even before that. They're in... Oh, I know it's before that because Pickle's not in high school yet. But they, they go... At this rate, there's, I see little contentment in families. If there's two kids in there, it looks like complete. It's a fire, Chinese fire drill that they live out in front of, of themselves because kids are going here, I gotta pick up here, I gotta be here 10 minutes early to get this one so I can get over to this one at time, and then we gotta be back because somebody's got violin practice or whatever. We, we said that there's very little contentment in our children. They don't even understand what it is to just chill out and take a day off. Ecclesiastics, Solomon says this, he says, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And we're going to get a bit back to that because that, that's important. He said, I, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added, added and nothing to it. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. It talks here, Solomon talks about a burden that God has laid upon the human race. That burden that God has originally laid upon the human race is a burden for him. That's why we have to have something that takes the place or, or is a similarity to worship. God placed, it says also in Colossians, God placed a, a, a deposit of his spirit in our hearts. That is there, that text talks about, so that it's, it's a deposit of his spirit, a seal of his ownership upon our souls, upon our, our, our spirit. He has done that because his spirit, the, the little piece of his spirit that is living within us is what draws us back to him to worship. When we get in here and we begin to worship and the Spirit begins to manifest Himself and fall upon us, I see it. This is why I worship from the back till the last song because I like to watch you guys worship. The, uh, um, it's just cool to, to watch the different ways that people do things. And, and when the Spirit comes, you know, I see hands go up, I see tears start to fall, I see things happen. But God has put that seal of ownership upon us so that draws us back. That draws us back even before we become worshipers, when we become um, seekers while we're still seekers. We don't just stumble into the church. I often like the fact that, uh, you know, we have often said, well, I finally found God, or, I, I, you, know, I, you know, God, God, let me give you a clue. God is not lost. He's never been lost. He's always been in the same spot. That's the throne of heaven. At the foot of the cross is where we find Jesus, uh, uh, salvation. And then we look to uh, the throne and we see God has been seated there since time began and will continue to be seated there. He's not the one who is lost. We are the ones who are lost and wandering out into this wilderness of life. It's often, and I say that and then I correct myself, when I accepted Christ and his offer of salvation is when I become uh, a, a Christian or a Christ follower and begin to uh, uh, follow him and begin to, to have peace in my life. And um, as we work through that peace, that contentment that comes with that. It says in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, it says, I have seen the burden. A burden is a key word that God has laid upon the human race. You see, the burden that God has laid upon is for him, is to worship, to have something above us that we strive for. That's what worship is. We exalt something. It should be God, always should be God in the entire human race. Often for a great deal of, of the, uh, those outside of the church and sometimes inside of the church, we get our, our uh, vision or the, the perspective of what we exalt, what we call about, gets in it, it gets distorted often. Oftentimes, instead of worshiping God and being content, we are worshiping uh, the almighty dollar. That's one of the big ones. We worship relationships. If we don't have the right relationship, or if we're single and we're, we're looking for somebody, and I'm not picking on you if you're single, but God does have, I believe God has someone for everyone. That's why we should pray about these things and not just accept the first uh, Tom, Dick, or Harry that comes along and uh, uh, because I see that often in my office and I think, yeah, I'll be counseling these guys in a couple years if they get married. So, the, uh, I'm just being honest. The, uh, but we, we have that desire and, and, and what it is, it's we're chasing after something and a lot of times it, it's something that's not supposed to be there. And that's why we, when your career or your money or your house or your toys or your or your spouse, or, or whatever that you place in front of God. Because that, that, what, here's what we usually say. If I just have a little more, then I would be satisfied. 
or I would be content. Or if I just had a person in my life, I would be satisfied and content. If I just had this or that in my life, that's what it takes. We have to learn to be content with where we are. The burden thing that I was talking about, in the, the, the um, last two verses of, of the Scripture, that uh, last three verses, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Solomon says here that he sees the burden laid upon the human race. That burden is to have an object of worship. An ob but when our object of worship is not God, when it becomes God, when we realize this and we understand that the burden God has put upon us becomes humble, easy, and light, that burden is made light because it's God that we're following. It's not up to us to figure out how am I going to afford this house? How am I going to afford this new uh, midlife crisis car or whatever it is? How am I going to do all of these things? Be the burden becomes light because it's in God. And God is the only thing that can satisfy. There's, there, I don't care what we are trying to do, whether we are Christ followers or we are in the world, we will never find complete satisfaction until we put God upon the throne of our heart. We will never have contentment until we are fully committed to God. Amen. That's a good spot for everybody to say amen. amen. Making me work. One of the songs that come to mind today, or as I was writing this scripture, thinking through it throughout the week, was In His Time. In one of the good old hymns, chorus hymns, I don't know, was that a chorus or a hymn, or what would you call it? You don't know, Mitchell? Yeah. Well, figure that out for me, would you? All right. You're 24 now, I expect that out of you. It talks about, a, it, it's a story I, I read, I'm like, well, where did this come from? Because in his time, it's not the easiest thing that we, we grapple with comes from a, a camp director of a conference center in Northern California, a mother of four uh, children, ages 10 to 14. Well, right there, she's nuts. We know that from all the kids she has within four years. You'll be kind of, I say nuts in a loving way. Diane Ball worked on a schedule. She tried to plan everything in her life to the minute, including family vacations. On one occasion, the family was scheduled to leave at 10 a.m. because she had a speaking engagement just before the vacation started at noon. But her husband, who was the maintenance man for the conference ground, had a last-minute emergency, so he wasn't ready to go until 11 a.m. <laughs> he was in trouble, in other words, because so, he was screwing up the whole thing. Diane later said she was furious. I told you he was in trouble. She fretted and stewed and then finally asked God to give her some peace. Suddenly she heard the words in his time. She repeated those words over and over and then heard more words. He makes all things beautiful in his time. That's then the scripture that I read before is where she went to. When she finally arrived at her speaking engagement late, of course, she said that she had written this song. Not only that, but because of some unexpected problems, the luncheon she was to speak at had also been delayed. Diane and her family had arrived just in time, in his time. If you don't remember this song, maybe uh, this is an oldie but a goodie. It says, and I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to read it to you. So, uh, in his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you are teaching me your way, and I'll do just what you say in your time. In your time, in your time, you make all things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. We must learn God does things 
in his time. And we have to trust him in that. I have things I want answered, prayers I want answered. I was going to leave him alone, but I'm going to. My son's birthday is also today. Um, and I love Mitchell, but I would really like my son and my daughters here on Sunday morning. Each one of them know the truth, it's in there. I see it once in a while. I see it often, actually. But I'm content. And I trust God. Because he said, if I will follow him, if I will do what he's called me to do, if I will put my faith in him, he will take care of all my needs. He tells me to be anxious for nothing. That means my kid's salvation as well. That means family and uh, friends around me, that salvation. He will do this in his time. I think when I talk about that, I think uh, uh, my early mentor there, Elsie, that's, uh, and she was the little old lady took me in under her wing, and uh, she um, prayed and prayed and prayed. She had yellow tablets that when she told you she had certain days that she prayed for a certain tablet because that's the list that was on that tablet. But she prayed for her daughter, Ruthie, for every day, for her salvation. She had a, and Elsie did not live long enough to see uh, her daughter get saved, but her daughter gave her life to Christ even after that um, Elsie had passed. Those things. I tell you this because when we hear the words, in his time, oftentimes... We have to be content in the fact that we may not see what happens in his time. But I can promise you, I say this often, prayers have no expiration date. Prayers, when you pray a prayer, it doesn't just fade off and God doesn't put it in some uh, uh, file of things to do. It's there. And he knows about it. And he is working it out. And in his time... He will have, there, and, and here's the thing, often when we pray for those kind of situations, as we talk about com contentment, when God is leading us, I've never had God actually take me in a straight line anywhere. Some of you are laughing because you've been on the journey. I've never gone from point A to point B. God says it's going to take us 2.2 minutes to get there. You'll be fine. Just get it. He takes us all over the place and he teaches us along the way. And things happen and we, we look. And I can tell you that when I first got saved, two or three years into being saved and being feeling the calling, I felt like I would pastor this church someday. God put that in my spirit. And then, I will tell you the truth, after a while, I used to preach when Ken Rowe was at Fenton. And he kind of grew me. He thought I would pastor that church. And then I left and went to the Living Promise and pastored that church, and things went very well up there. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I just don't know what I'm, God is saying, and I'm figuring things out, you know. And then five years into that, I get the call, would you consider coming back? And I come back. And uh, not only do I pastor this church, but I also pastor the Fenton Church as well. Two churches, it did, uh, um, I didn't see that coming, I can tell you that. But God does that in his time. And I went because I could have never come back here had not I gone there first. Because I, wouldn't have, I had never been a lead pastor here. I was an associate and I run the Alcoholics for Christ. But God took me and I had to be content there. Because this is, the, this is where I really wanted to be. Because this is the community, my kids and my grandkids and the community I live in. And I want to make a difference where I live. But God says, you go here. So you go. When I went there, Eddie says to me, Eddie Phillips, my, one of my most wonderful mentors, he, when I told him that I was, would stay and take the church, he says, are you sure that you're a pastor and not an evangelist? Because I used to go travel around and preach at other churches and speak. And I prayed about that because I, I liked the evangelism work. 
the, uh, you get to go in, you get to tear up the place, and you get to leave. And the pastor's got to deal with whatever uh, wreckage you've left behind. And he straightens it out. And, and I prayed about that, and I said, you know what? As we work through that, I believe God's called me to be a very evangelical pastor. That's why I don't sit in the office a lot. That's why I'm out at football games or wherever I can be reaching and talking to people all the time. In his time, though, God didn't get that at 23 years of age, 24 years. That was not in there. And I couldn't be content with where I was at until God began to... And I've learned this has taught me a great deal about being contented. Hang on sometimes when the storm comes. Be content that maybe it is a storm. Maybe the waves are crashing over the boat. Maybe you've tried to get out like Peter and you got three or four steps and you looked down and you freaked out and you started to sink. But be content in the fact that God is there. Even when you do start to stink, stink. if you stink, he'll still love you if you stink and he'll love you if you start to sink as well. But he will reach down and grab your hands, but be contented in that with where God has you going. We have to learn also, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to get done on time this week, I promise. So music, you better come forward soon. That encourages me to finish. Yes, you've got to stand here for a few minutes, but I'll get out of here that way. We must learn to be contented. This is the other thing. Not with just with what God is doing, but this is another big one. Learning to be contented with what the Lord has blessed us with materially. First Timothy 6, 6 and 10 say, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You ever think about that? I say this often. I have never seen a U-Haul truck tied onto a hearse going down the road. Not once. I have never been in a family when they're mourning and they're uh, whoever lost mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, kid, whoever, husband, wife. I've never once had them say, I wish dad or grandpa or somebody would have worked a little more so they could have left a little more for us when they passed. The only thing I've ever heard them ask for is more time. And they mourn over the fact that they're gone. And that is a healthy thing to do. Nobody, it's a, it, if we are content and we understand and we know we're not thinking, oh, I hope I get to heaven, we are making it to heaven. We have that assurance and we realize, I'm going to see grandpa or grandma or my husband or my wife or my brother or my sister, whoever it is, you, it, it still hurts. The separation hurts, but it's the confidence and the hope that I will be there someday. They're there. And I often say this at funerals. I don't think anybody that gets to heaven is going to say, hey, can I go back and tell them guys about this place? They're going to be up there with that great cloud of witnesses saying, praying. I believe they know what's going on and they can pray. I don't think they cross over and come here and talk to us, but there's a great cloud of witnesses that talks about it in Hebrews. I believe they're looking down and they're praying, they're cheering us on. I think they're, they're up there saying, you know, man, as Paul said, the human mind can't begin, can't even comprehend the half of what God has prepared for us. We sing about heaven. We sing about God. We don't even have the half in our heads yet. That's something that helped me find contentment. If I think I read about heaven in Revelations. I read about it in books. I read about the descriptions. I like the, my favorite part is when it says it wipes away. He will wipe away every tear. All the pain, all the sorrow will be gone. I, I, I read those things and I become contented in this is the place I want to end up when I die physically this, I'm content with what he, I, and, and you hear people say, just give me a shack in the back. I, I hope that's what I get because I hope I'm the last house on the road next to the woods. That will be fine with me. That's not a, I'm not trying to downgrade. I'm like, God, can I bring my tree stands? That's all I need to know. All right, will you have tree stands? What should we do? But think about those things. When that Brings contentment. That should be the ultimate contentment. Goes on and he says, 
But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap, and a trap, and fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm not telling you God wants you to live in the poor house your whole life. I see God bless people with... Um, I have two or three friends that God has blessed with millions of dollars, and they use it for the kingdom. They, use, they give a lot of money away. One guy, when we went fishing, a new friend of mine, he has, I don't know how much money he has, and I tell my friend that I work for, I don't know how much money you have, I don't care how much money you have. This is what I want out of it when I work for you, that's all I care about that way. You, I hope you have a ton of money, because I see what he does with his money. I've seen him pay for funerals. I, see, I know he, he, uh, the last thing in Puerto Rico that happened, he, he gives a lot. And he, he, you never know that unless you just happen to be involved in the congregation. But it, it's not about the money to these guys. God blesses them. They use it. You can't outgive God. When you give, God pours it on. But we often become discontent with where we're at. And you see, God's not going to add on when you're discontent. He's going to leave you where you're at. He's, you're not ready. And I'm not preaching prosperity here to you. I'm just God, you may get content with where you're at. God said, good. You're right where I want you. I'm going to leave you there. David said, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. You may not have a ton of money, but God will take care of you. You will never go hungry. You will have clothes on your back. You will have people that love you. You will have friends and family around you. You will find contentment. Charles Spurgeon says this, he said, You say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied even if it were double. How many of us know people like that? It's never enough. I've got to have a little more. Philippians says this, and I close with this passage. It says, I am not saying this because I am in need. Paul is speaking to those that are taking care of him while he's in the Philippian jail. He says, I'm not speaking because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to, to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul had everything when Paul was Saul. He had been studied under the greatest uh, gallant. Gamiel, the, the premier rabbi to study under at that time, probably they still regard him as the premier uh, rabbi of all time in Jewish culture. Paul studied under him. Paul was a Roman. Saul, when, before Paul got his name changed, he was Saul. Paul, Saul was a Roman citizen. He was well-to-do. He was high up in the Pharisees and in, in the law. He knew the law. He knew all of these things. He had it going on. He had then his Damascus road experience and conversion. One of the things that often I think about when I think about Paul is the fact that Jesus said to Ananias, when Ananias said, he told him to go to the house on Straight Street. Be there. Saul's going to be there. He's blind. I've struck him blind. You're going to baptize him. You're going to remove the scales off his eyes. And Ananias says, well, do you know who this guy is? Of course, it's Jesus he's talking to. He says, yeah, of course. He says, he's the guy that kills Christians. And you want me to go? He says, I'm going to show Paul what he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul went from everything to nothing. Think about Paul when he was Saul. He was not content. He was filled with hatred and anger, killed Christians. Paul now gets saved. God pours out his spirit on him. He becomes, in essence, the first bishop of the church and goes 
he, he dedicates his life. Paul gets beat, he gets put in prison, he gets uh, um, just thing after thing, he gets shipwrecked, he spends nights floating in the sea, he goes without often, he's chained in dungeons where it's cold and wet and nasty, and he still is content because God is the focus of his life. He's learned to be content wherever God has him. How well would we do? And I'm not saying, I told you to take a minute, I'm sorry. The, um, I'm not saying that God, just if you're struggling, and this is not what I'm saying. If you're in a, a tough spot in your relationship or finance or whatever, I'm not saying that being content says you've got to stay in that place or you've got to be happy about that place. Being content is with God. All right, God, if you want me to be here, this is where I'm at. When we get there, that doesn't mean God's going to leave you there. It's when you get content. It's through worship is how we truly know God. We can read about him. We can pray to him. We can uh, come to church. We can see pictures. We can read all these little devotions. But we won't truly know God and have the contentment in our heart until we learn who he is and worship him for who he is, not what he can do. Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Let's all stand because we're going to sing. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Father, as we sing this song this morning, I pray in advance. that you are touching hearts, that you are speaking to people. I know there are people here in situations that it's very hard to be content with. I know there are battles, there are struggles, spiritually, physically, um, financially, relationally. Father, all of these things. And Father, right now as we begin to sing, as we step back into your presence through worship and music, I just ask, Father, that you would touch our hearts and speak to us. Call us into a new place with you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Pink writes this statement. He says, contentment then is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the soul's enjoyment of that peace that passes all understanding. It is the outcome of my will being brought into subjection to the divine will. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well and is, even now, making all things work together for my ultimate good. Father, this morning as we come to the end of this service, Lord, this message, this music, but I, I know there are many that, that struggle with anxiety. I know that there, we all have things in our lives that want to drag us away from being content and the contentment that, that comes in truly knowing and experiencing and being filled with your love and your grace and your power and your spirit. Lord, I pray that this week we would, you would place it upon our minds, etch it into our minds that when we come to a place where we get frustrated or in a hustle and bustle situation and, and things just seem to be boiling over in us that you would speak to us with a still small voice and say be still and know that I am God just be still I know there are people that are sitting in this congregation think pastor but you don't know I do know I've run my own stuff. I've run my own business. I know what it's like to be in that rat race. And I know exactly what it's like to be in the presence of God. I would take that be still moment over any of other 
thing that I've ever accomplished in my life, to just be still and know that He is God. Strive for that in your lives. Father, I pray that you place that desire upon our heart for contentment and peace that passes all understanding. I continue to pray for a deeper understanding of that. Lord, that understanding and a a foundation that, that can be shaken in that contentment. Lord, take us from this place today. Bless our weekends, our families that are around us, Lord, the things that we place our hand to this week. Lord, give us a, a person or two or three or ten to witness to, to share your grace and your mercy with your love. Above all, rest heavily, peaceably, gracefully upon our hearts and minds so that we at all points know that we are children, children or a child of the Most High God. Be content knowing that you have a place prepared for us. Take us from this place, Father. Bless us, guide us through this week, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You're dismissed.